Well, let me welcome back Kevin Luco this week. And uh, Kevin, man, we'll start with the NHL here tonight. We, we haven't been there in a little while, but boy, what a great week for the Minnesota Wild. Well, no doubt about it. Um, I have, I mean, the only blemish was uh, overtime loss in Toronto, but boy, you know, that's never, that's not the worst thing, especially I believe was that on the second day of, I should know this, if it yes. was on a back-to-back or not. Yes, back-to-back road games, uh, Columbus and Toronto. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, I you definitely can't complain about that. And, you know, as we talked about, um, Columbus could be a tricky team at times. They were playing some pretty decent hockey and uh, good start to the week, um, winning a tight game against the uh, LA Kings. But, boy, I wish for my blood pressure that this team could maybe win a game like, you know, all three to nothing, four to one at some point so I can kind of relax and enjoy it a little bit more. But, hey, at this point, we're not fussy. Um, two points are two points, and the Wild have managed to rack up seven of them this week and put themselves back in the top three in the Central Division. Uh, for fans out there, nine straight games for the Wild decided by a goal or two. And that's, that's great for playoff hockey, but you'd like to have a little more cushion during the regular season. So... Let's talk about the goaltending, though, Kevin. Before we dive into some of these games this week, uh, they gave up three, what, five goals in four games. Uh, we were a little concerned about this, especially Marc-Andre Fleury last week, talking about some of the performances that he had. Boy, they sure came up big this week. Yeah, in Fleury's case, it was a good uh, good bounce back of victory for him on Friday night in Columbus, getting the shutout. I know there was a couple of dicey moments where the defense bailed him out, but in general, it looked like he was in control, playing his kind of game, and it um, looked a lot more promising than some of his previous starts had been. So, and you know, the neat thing with the wild schedule right now, for for the most part, they're not playing a lot of back-to-backs, so that's going to be a situation where if they make the playoffs, both the goalies are going to be rested up, and then I guess now then it hopefully becomes a difficult decision for Dean Evanson, which guy to go with. Well, let's start on Tuesday night against Los Angeles. Gustafson looked great. I almost came away with a shutout for that game. Uh, blanked L.A. until the last 21 seconds of the contest. Ryan Hartman with two goals in that game. You got enough offense. You got great goaltending. That's that's your ticket to winning games, especially come playoff time. I think you hit on a good point, um, whether you knew it or not. Um, Ryan Hartman was a guy that the Wild definitely need to get going. The guy was a 30-plus goal scorer last year. He was mostly scoring goals that were banking in off of him. <laughs> but now he did, did get a couple against Los Angeles, you know, off the stick like normal. And... He's starting to look like the guy that we saw last year that was a that was a very capable centerman for Zuccarello and Kaprizov. So hopefully um, uh, Ryan Hartman can keep things going. What what do you think has been the difference in his play between the two seasons? Uh, I think he I think the injury he had in Chicago in the late October derailed him. That's but you know even before that. It seemed like he was um, playing pretty undisciplined. I know that got him in Dean Evans' doghouse a bit, too. So 
I'd say between the lack of discipline and then the injuries, and it derailed the season. But you know, hopefully that was also a wake up call. And you know, you get back in the lineup, and Sam Steele is centering the two guys that you centered last year. I'm sure um, Hartman at this point feels like he's got to make a statement, and that statement is getting his job back on the top line with um, two premier players. Well, he comes up with an assist in the 2 nothing victory for uh, against Columbus on Thursday. Uh, Brandon Duhame and uh, Kaprizov score in the first period, and they just let Flurry do his job after that. He winds up saving 30 shots in the game. Uh, as you talked about, great rebound performance by Flurry. Great, a very solid, I thought, defensive performance. It didn't look like Columbus had a lot of really great quality shots, especially circle to circle inside the wild zone. No, they didn't. Then you know, there's some um, there's some firepower on that Columbus team. We talk about Line Aid, Boone Jenner, um, Johnny Goodrell. So really, kind of surprised me that they didn't really um, put up much of a fight on Thursday night. I know you're happy through the first two games of this week. Four goals, none of them special teams. So five on five. You got to be pretty happy about that. You know, it's it's weird because you know I talk to people that are fans, just uh, I suppose just like I am too, and you know even fans are noticing that hey, this team's got to start scoring more goals five on five, and that was um, that was a good sign to see that in the first couple games last week. On Friday they head to Toronto. Brandon Duhame scores 12-10 into the contest, and David Camp ties the game up a, uh, a little less than four minutes later. William Nylander gets the game winner in overtime for Toronto. As you said, no, no shame in taking an overtime loss in Toronto. That's a very good team, and you got another great performance out of Gustafson. Definitely. Um, credit Duhame, I believe that was two goals in two games for him, and both of them were yeah. just the – Kind of the greasy get get in front of the net and make things happen sort of goals, but you get an overtime situation with Toronto. That's a lot of firepower, and um, Nylander ended up being the guy for the night for them. But boy, <laughs> I, they just roll out so many talented forwards with that team. And if it was anyone other than Toronto, I'd say they were definitely a cup favorite. But for some reason, there's some sort of curse up there. I don't know what it is. Well, the team returns home, and, and you've talked many times with me about the fact of you have a big road trip, and then you come home. Sometimes there's a little bit of a letdown, and it looked like this contest was going to be a letdown as Columbus jumps out to a 2 nothing lead early on. You know, it seems like Minnesota was playing well. They were getting a lot of shots on goal, but uh, I don't know if they were really quality shots, and it just... Yeah, it just didn't seem like the Wild were into it on Sunday afternoon for the first two periods. Kaprizov takes over from there, though, Kevin. Scores two goals in the third period to tie the game, including one on the power play, then delivers the game winner in overtime for the hat trick. You know, you, you, you need your stars to come up with big games for you when you want when you really need a victory. And, and I feel like this team has an opportunity to ensure they can get out of that wild card spot get into one of those top three spots there in the division, and their start came up big for them. Yeah, three pretty distinct goals. I think uh, his first goal was a, a secondary deflection off a shot from the point that managed to finally beat Elvis Mazurkins. Then his uh, second goal was on the beginning of a five-on-three power play where uh, 
the Wild won a face-off. Puck went between, got by Matt Boldy, but um, rolled right to Kaprizov in a prime shooting spot in the, between the hash marks, and he made no mistake with it. Then the overtime goal, it was a very boring overtime. And I thought, well, this is this is heading to a shootout for sure. But the Wild had that one last shift, and Jalen Addison, the guy that's been maligned lately, found himself with the puck at the edge of the crease. Kaprizov, of course, um, makes a darts for the net, gets the pass, buries it, and the game was over. But the thing I noticed as a observer of the NHL is like, Johnny Gaudreau was supposed to cover Kaprizov on it. And as Kaprizov was darting towards the net, Gaudreau was kind of skated at him, maybe tapped him on the shin pads with his stick, and then just kept skating away from him. It was like uh, it was like a video game where there was like a controller problem or something. It just it was really weird. And if I'm a Columbus fan, I would be thinking, what the heck, we just broke the bank to bring this guy in and we're getting that kind of an effort in an overtime game. But credit Kaprizov, though, for being in the right spot at the right time, man. He um, 37 goals this year, and now he's, as of Monday night, he's fifth in the league in goals. I think sometimes these guys get such an – they're just believing that something as great is going to happen in their own end. They want to be in position to go the opposite direction on a breakaway or a two-on-one or something. And so they just jump out of their zone figuring, oh, okay, somebody else has got it behind me. And I saw this happen a lot in the ECHL. It's just uh, – you know, you got to be better than that, especially when you're that kind of a star player. You, you know, Gaudreau is a big name. That's a, that's a big guy. Like you said, they spend a lot of money on him. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to play two-way hockey if you're going to be a big-time hockey player in the NHL. I'd really like to know what he was thinking because I thought the optics of it were not very good at all. Like I said, it looked like um, he'd given up on the play and was skating towards the boards. I mean, we're not even talking about, like, looking up ice to try to break back in the other direction. It was like he was just looking at some fans in Section 101. <laughs> Hartman uh, gets an assist on the first goal by Kaprizov in that game, Kevin. Two goals and two assists in the four games for the week. Do you feel like maybe he's turning a corner a little bit for the club? I think he is. I, know. I think he's playing a lot more confident now, too, and... Like I said earlier in the show, that's going to be a big boost if they can get the Matt Hartman from last season. So Minnesota, Kevin, 33-21-6, currently two points behind Dallas for the top record in the Central Division. This week, uh, games again starting out with the New York Islanders tomorrow at home, then go on the road at Vancouver, at Calgary. Calgary's a very tough team, got a, some pretty good scoring punch out there, but they're a little weak between the net and the net. New York, a little more difficult scoring goals, a little bit better goaltending. And this could be a good week for the, the Wild. I, I don't think any trouble really going out on the road if they really play their game. I think so. I mean, right now you look at it, um, Calgary is out of, the, out of the top eight in the West Conference, so... I think the Islanders are maybe hovering around the top eight. So when you look at it on paper, you've got three very winnable games as long as Minnesota can put up the kind of effort that they gave in the last week. To their advantage, too, as we're talking Vancouver beating Dallas right now 4-3, to three, uh, Dallas will 
have Arizona at home, then travel to Chicago, then takes on Colorado at home on Saturday, that's going to be a tough contest for them. So you can come out with, you know, five points this week. Uh, you know, you can pull within a, a point maybe of Dallas if they should just go two and two. You know, you have a shot to really keep, you know, you gotta, I, I think you look at this point of just saying, hey, we've got to be one point better than Dallas every week so we can solidify this division and maybe become the top team. Right now, you've got nine teams in the West Conference. They're all pretty tight points-wise. One of those nine teams is Seattle. Seattle got off to a huge start. They're fading. So if Seattle keeps, keeps them uh, trending downward, you've got your eight playoff teams. It's just a matter of how that's all going to shake out. You know, I was talking to a friend that's a Winnipeg Jets fan, and they just picked up a needle needle writer in a trade. He goes, "Well, I don't, I don't see how he's going to help us if we even make the playoffs." I said, "Well, I think the way the West Conference is shaking out, the Jets don't have a choice but to make the playoffs because St. Louis is throwing the towel in. Uh, new Nashville Predators are trading off guys, so." You're looking at right now, I'd say, nine teams who are serious about making the playoffs. And like I said, one of those is Seattle, who's been treading downwards. So, you know, if you keep winning the games you're supposed to win, I think Minnesota would be just fine. And other than Colorado, I could see the Wild matching up good with anybody in the West Conference, so I don't think it matters um, to get a home ice advantage or what with it. Well, let's drop down to the AHL, Kevin, and uh, the Iowa Wilds week continued to struggle. They lose at home on Tuesday to uh, the Chicago Wolves 4-1, to an effort where Chicago dominated that game in almost every facet. Then they lose on Friday at home against Rockford, then go on the road to Rockford and come away with a 2 victory, two nothing victory thanks to Zane McIntyre. So they were 0-7-2 on that nine-game winless streak, wind up snapping the streak. We're going to talk a little bit about turning points, I guess, Kevin, this week, so could this be something after a very a terrible February that this club might, you know, might be able to get out of that now and roll in March? It could be a turning point, but I, if I believe right, the schedule in March is pretty tough, and I believe there's also a trip to the West Coast in that. So that would be very, very good for the Wild to be playing good hockey. Um, but at least, you know, you're getting – it seems like Chicago's giving them trouble, Rockford's giving them trouble, so maybe getting away from those guys for a while will be beneficial to the team. Starting on Tuesday night, Chicago with three goals in the second period, two on the power play. They grab a Max LaJoy power play goal in the, in the third as well to jump out to a 4 nothing lead. With 50 seconds left, former Iowa Heartlander defenseman Reese Mollick scores his first goal of the season uh, to break the shutout string. A little bit of a tough evening there for um, Jesper Wallstead, who stops 24-28 shots. Really did not challenge um, Chicago very much in this game, and, and the, that power play for the Wolves was just on fire. But Kevin, you know, this is a team that was last place in the division, and, and those are games. I no no disrespect to Chicago, but those are games you got to feel like you just have to win. Well, let's not forget Dallas is also the defending league champions. And I know there's probably been a lot of turnover with them, but they're also a pretty proud hockey team too. And I'm sure they would um, love to get on a hot streak and maybe 
somehow find that fifth spot in the division just to get into a play-in round. On Friday night, Rockford came to town, comes away with a 3-1 victory. Again, team falls behind 3-0. Luke Philp comes up with two goals in the second period, one on the power play, adds it. Bobby Lynch adds another power play goal in the third period as Rockford, uh, for the second straight game for the, the, the Wild, they give up a, a bunch of unanswered goals early on, this time three in this contest. Nick Sweeney scores on the power play at 13:09 to break the shutout streak in there. Ballstead played fairly well, 22 saves in the contest. But again, offense is not there. But Kevin, I, I think you're right at this point. If, if there's one area that you're a little concerned about, it's penalty killing at this point with five power play goals against you in two games. Yeah, that's definitely not a winning formula right there. And something that Iowa will have to get over if they hope to get any kind of a winning streak. Zane McIntyre gets the start on Saturday night, though, Kevin. 23 saves, fantastic performance of him by him. Nick Patan scores 30 seconds into the second period to give Iowa the lead, and Adam Beckman with a great, um, well, first of all, I should say, Marco Rossi with a great effort to just completely um, pick the pocket of Adam Cleninger to uh, get the puck. I think I said Cleninger. Cleningdon, isn't it? It's... Uh, Clendening. Clendening. Yeah, I knew I was saying that wrong. And I knew I was saying that wrong. But <laughs> Rossi with a just a flat-out steal at the blue line, gets it on a breakaway that's stopped, but Adam Beckman follows up the play and scores a shorthanded goal to make it 2 nothing. And uh, just great performance by McIntyre. He hasn't been getting as much time between the net recently, Kevin, but, boy, he sure looked good. Yeah, and I think that's key for the Wild, too, that if they – they get a veteran goalie going good like that with McIntyre. You know, as the season keeps um, grinding along, too, you know, you don't know if Allstead it's his first full season playing in the U.S. You don't know if he's going to start wearing down. So I think it's key that that they can get um, a guy like Zane McIntyre playing well in the net. Yeah, and that's a great point, Kevin, because I remember – in 2019, at the playoff time, it was 2019, I think. Yeah, it was. You were talking to me about Capo uh, Kakinen. He'd looked very good for the season, but all of a sudden it got you know later on, heading into March and April, and, and he wore down a little bit for the team and his first chance of playing a prolonged season in the United States. And so you got to kind of wonder if, if Volstead is, is, finds himself being a little tired, you got to feel like you can depend on McIntyre, and he looked very good for the team. Yeah, it's uh, it's a grind, and I guess you know those are those are things you don't find out until they actually happen. And uh, you know, I guess that's what you have your minor league system for. The Iowa Wild currently 21, 23, 21 and nine in fifth place in the Central Division. They are five points behind Rockford, Chicago, and Grand, uh, Grand Rapids, barreling down six points behind the Wild. Both of those teams are this uh, week. The team will continue a five-game road trip, heading to Milwaukee on Wednesday, then two games in Grand Rapids Friday and Saturday, a chance to put a little distance between themselves and Grand Rapids. But, Kevin, a point that you have made a few times on the show, and, and a very good one, is sometimes when you're, you're struggling, you're scrapping out there, getting out on the road for a little bit of time and, and building some chemistry might be just what the doctor ordered. I can't imagine it would be the worst thing at this point. And, you know, we're talking about being five points behind Rockford. 
it's going to be interesting to see what their roster is going to be looking like um, after Friday because uh, the big clubs have already traded Sam Lafferty, Jake McCabe, and Jack Johnson in two separate trades. So I know they got one defenseman in return in that, and I think there's one forward that will be playing for Rockford. But you have to wonder, there's going to be a Patrick Kane trade coming up. So you have to wonder, does Lucas Reichel get called up to Chicago for good? Do the Blackhawks get a couple guys that they may want to slot in the AHL? It's going to be interesting to see what the, how the, all this on trade deadline stuff is going to end up affecting the, the Rockford club. And plus, um, our good friend um, for us, our Minnesota Wild fans, Alex Salak, is recovered once again from the concussion protocol. So, Jackson Stauber has been sent back to Rockford. And I tell you, um, between Arvid Solderbloom and Jackson Stauber, that's, uh, that's a pretty good one-two punch and goal for the, for the Ice Hogs. So, like I said, we'll just kind of see how everything plays out. Yeah, this is going to be exciting week because that trade deadline can have a, a huge impact. It doesn't just impact the NHL. They make a lot of deals to get, get guys down to the ECHL lead, uh, level even. Um, San Jose traded away uh, Timur Bagamov, who was playing for the Wichita Thunder all season. So, you know, he, he winds up moving in the ECHL. So we could see a, a lot of moves. I don't think we're going to see Heartlanders guys going, but we're going to see potentially some Iowa Wild guys go or some guys brought to the Iowa Wild, depending on what Minnesota may acquire. So. Be interesting to see, Kevin. Let's talk a little Stay bit, Kevin, through. about uh, now the – yes, absolutely. Let's jump down here to the Iowa Heartlanders, Kevin, who got off to a tough week to start out with with a 4-3 loss at home to the Indy Fuel, but then had a great bounce-back game against Kalamazoo with a 5-2 victory on Friday. They lose in overtime on Saturday when they battled back in that contest as well. So uh, nice performance by the Wild, who look like the coaching staff has really got this team starting to do things in the right way. Well, the big thing is that they're competitive every night, and that's a key part, too, and that's going to keep your fan base at least invested in the team. So let's just see how the momentum from a pretty decent week, um, we'll see how that affects the, the upcoming week. So 4-3 loss on Wednesday. Uh, Indy winds up scoring three goals, the final three goals of the game, all in the second period to erase a 3-1 deficit and come away with a victory. A disappointing loss. Dorian Hansen played very well early on in this game, but it was a stretch of about uh, three minutes that wound up, exactly three minutes, as a matter of fact, that wound up being the doom for this team. It, it's been something you and I have talked quite a bit about, Kevin. Is it just seems that there's that one little stretch in some of these games where the team just, I, I don't want to say loses focus because I don't think that's a fair assessment. It, it's just that there's... There's not the same intensity, or, or a, a, the the opposing team winds up hype, you know ramping it up a little bit, and they don't respond as well. And that was the case against Indy on Wednesday. And sometimes that's all it takes. Is uh, I think the word we're probably looking for is a lapse. Yeah, well, that's what the Heartlanders had in the game on Wednesday night. See, that's why I need Kevin for the proper grammar for as well here, uh, which is easy to write about. Which so that takes us to Friday. A 5-2 to two victory over Kalamazoo. Hunter Jones comes back, looks very good in that contest, Kevin. He winds up stopping 31 shots. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong one right there. He winds up saving. Why don't I have this run here? There we go. It should be 32 saves, I believe, on this. Why don't I have 31? 
because I'm saying this wrong. 29 saves. That's what I was looking for. There we go. I had the wrong score sheet up there. My apologies. Hunter Jones returns back, though, Kevin. Looked very good in that game with 29 saves and nice bounce back after being out for a little while with an injury. Yeah, it felt like he had a bit of a groin issue, and then we know how tricky those can be with goaltenders. So it was um, good to see him bounce back. And sometimes, too, with goalies, if they're out for a little bit, uh, their mechanics can get a little wonky on them. But it looks like um, Jones had no such trouble in the game on Friday night. Get a great performance by several different players on this team. Three players had two assists in the contest, including Ryan Wheeler, um, Kernan and the other one was uh, Tommy Perrin. All had two assists in that game. Zach White with a goal and an assist. Five different goal scorers for the club. They scored on the power play. Just one of those kind of complete performances. In 60 minutes, this team played very good hockey. It's the kind of thing that I know the coaching staff have to look at and say, hey, these guys are really starting to get this. And, you know, that's encouraging for the coaching staff, too, that knowing that their um, work with the players is starting to kick in and that the message is getting, is being received by the guys on the ice. On Saturday, Kalamazoo scores two goals early in the second period. Looks like they're going to skate away with this game, especially after getting a shorthanded goal to get the scoring going. But a power play goal by James Sanchez. Nice uh, little opportunity is that Nolan Orzak, who had a great week for the team, takes a shot that winds up deflecting towards Sanchez, and he just buries a one-timer. Zach White ties the game with 36 seconds left. Great comeback by the club. Nolan Orzak with another assist. He had a huge week for the team. Unfortunately, Justin Taylor winds up getting a shorthanded goal, 207 in overtime to, to uh, give Iowa the loss. But great battle back in this contest. Jones with 31 saves. I thought he looked pretty good in this game as well. And, you know, I mean, you don't want to – you, I mean, you could think, well, could, we could have come away with two points. But a point when you feel like you're down to 26 seconds, you wind up tying up a score against a, a Kalamazoo team trying to battle for a playoff spot here as well. I mean, that was just a solid performance, I thought. That's what you call get a, a good point in the standings when you battle back to get the win as opposed to coughing up a lead late. So I'm sure that had to feel a bit redeeming for Iowa. But, boy, they really – I don't know, maybe you have the numbers in front of you. Their overtime record this year has been brutal. And I think maybe at some point you start rethinking who you have for personnel on the ice or what exactly you're trying to do to something where you try to go for broke a little more often with breakout passes or, you know, you're at the time of the year when – you don't really have anything to lose, and I think that's a, that's a time where you try maybe try some different stuff and see what works. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, Kevin. I think sometimes, you know, and this, this is not meant to be disrespectful to coaches. They've earned their spot. You know, they, they have a lot of experience. You know, somebody thought that they would do the right kind of job here, and so I, I'm giving them all the credit in the world for that. But I think sometimes you get caught in a, a, a mentality about things, and, and you start to believe that um, th this system is going to work, okay? We know this is meant to work, but it just doesn't. And it, as Kevin said, 3-11-1 in overtime games. So w one of those games went to a shootout. 11 of those 14 games they lost in the extra frame. I mean, that's kind of surprising because I, I don't know the stats on this, so I, I can't speak to this like I'm 100% I'm right in this way. But it seems like 
a few more of these games wind up going to, to shootouts that like 25% or something wind up going to shootout or 20% to just one out of 15 seems kind of low to me. You know, it harkens back to the days with the, the Perry club, Minnesota wild, where they could not buy a win in the, in overtime. And what Minnesota was doing, it was the same guys playing every, every time in the shootout, I mean, in the, Three out three situation. Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi, guys that were very good guys for taking up ice time and doing their jobs. But in the overtime session, you got to have a little bit of pizzazz on the ice and the capability to maybe break off a, a big play or a huge pass or make a great move to get a breakaway. And at the time with Minnesota, they always wanted to defer to the veterans, and there was a lot of young guys that were not seeing the ice in overtime. And Minnesota was losing, I'd say, two-thirds of their overtime games because of it. And finally, after a while, they changed it up. So, you know, maybe it's um, even a personnel issue with uh, Heartlanders. I don't know. I have not seen many of their overtime games. So, you know, that could be an issue also. It's a good thought, and, and uh, you know, at, at this point, you got to look at it and just think to yourself, what do you got to lose? You know, <laughs> so exactly. I mean, give some of those younger guys, you know, I mean, give it a shot. Give it a shot. What do you got to lose here? So the team right now, Kevin, 13, 26, and 12, which is pretty good considering you and I were having uh, some serious concerns about whether they would reach 15 victories. I think that's pretty safe with 21 contests left, so. The team is really starting to get get things together, I think, a little bit better here. Uh, they will continue with one more game here at home on this five-game home, seven-game homestand, excuse me, with the Kansas City Mavericks coming to town on Wednesday, then head to the road on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with one of those very tough road trips. It's, it's Friday in Cincinnati, Saturday in Toledo, Sunday in Fort Wayne. So uh, three games, three cities, three nights. Yeah, that sounds like a federal league road trip there. Load up the bus, boys. Have, have Ned Braden get the card game going. You know, it's one of these things the ECHL has done differently in the last couple of years because a few years ago, you you went to a town for all three games. You know, uh, you you stayed there, for, and I'm I don't know why they decided to switch out to this. Maybe. Teams were talking about being bored with playing the same, game, you know, team three successive nights or something. I, I don't know, but uh, I thought for travel alone and cost, they would just say, "Okay, you're in Cincinnati this weekend," and maybe arena availability. I, mean, I, I don't know, Kevin. I this is That's I, a possibility. I, I, so, could be. but within that, you know, maybe as a parent club, you're looking at that schedule and thinking. Do I want my prospects playing three games in three days with, you know, multi-hour bus rides between them? Do I want to be sending my guys down to play in those sort of situations? And maybe that's why at times these teams aren't getting much help from their parent club just because of the way the the um, ECHL schedule is laid out. That is a fantastic observation. You know, I mean, like I, I look at so to, to to close out the season. The Wheeling Nailers come to town to Iowa. They're there Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So that's the way this used to go. So, but but I'm seeing that practically every week heading to those games, you know. It, it, so n not only is it 
Cincinnati Friday, Saturday in, in Toledo, Sunday in Fort Wayne, but then they come home for Cincinnati, Indy comes Friday, Kalamazoo comes Saturday. Then they go the next Friday to Cincinnati. It's like, you know, I don't understand why you're just not trying to get more of these games together. So, but nobody asked me at the ECHL office. I'm just throwing my two cents in. So, there you go. I was watching a biography before we recorded this tonight on uh, this pro wrestler, Jacob St. Roberts, and there was a part in there which you're talking about travel. And uh, Ted DiBiase made a very good point. He goes, sometimes we were traveling so much, I would wake up in the morning and I'd have to look at the hotel directory just to remember what town I'm in. And I got to imagine for these guys, that's got to that's got to feel like that. Yeah, you know they make a joke about the singer who will go, you know, thank you, Cleveland, you're the best, and they're in Detroit. But right. when you're out on the road 200 days out of a year, maybe you get that. So you know, so no offense. It's just like, man, I'm I'm sorry. I you know I've been I'm, I've been in 200 different cities in the last 250 days. So give me a break. Well, what's that, Johnny Cash okay. song? I've been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. They should remake okay, that song nice for the UCHL. For real. Uh, nice week for the Minnesota Wild. We're looking for a big week out of them this week. Uh, Iowa Heartlanders heading out here on the road. We're going to see what they wind up going on next weekend. And Iowa Wild, they're out on the road all week. So, um Road is a is an interesting thing for this week for for all three clubs, and so uh, we'll we'll leave that as a, a thought here as Kevin gives us his his great thought for this week. And of course, I'm going to totally demolish that because, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> well, for me, when they're on the road, I have no I have no one to go see live. But um, I gotta say, this is getting the getting to the exciting part of the hockey season if you're a true hockey fan. Because you've got playoff chases with your teams, with your team in Iowa, and obviously with Minnesota. You get on the high school level, the Minnesota State Tournament starts a week from Thursday. College hockey is wrapping up their regular season and starting postseason as soon as this weekend. I just had a weekend where I went and saw the number one ranked Minnesota Gophers play on Friday night and beat Ohio State 4 nothing. And boy, a first line with three guys that are first round draft picks and just have incredible chemistry is just a delight to watch. And I know they're not going to be around next year, so I'm just enjoying it while I can. So that was a delight on Friday night. Then went to Mankato, where the Minnesota State Mavericks defeated Michigan Tech three to two to win the McNaughton Cup in the CCHA. It was an interesting finish. Minnesota State was up 2 nothing. Then Michigan Tech gets a guy in on a breakaway. Got slashed, called it a penalty shot. Scores on the penalty shot, so they're down like 2-1 to one with like four minutes left. They pull the goalie with like a minute and a half left. Score the, the tying goal, but the goal got taken off the board for goaltender interference. So with about a minute left... Minnesota State with a 2-1 lead, draws a power play. Michigan Tech goes ahead 
on the next, uh, like seconds later, scores a tying goal shorthanded to tie the game with 45 seconds left. Minnesota State gets a power play goal with 30 seconds left to win the game and the conference title. It was just one of the more entertaining games I've been to in quite a while. And then the Kaprizov hat trick in St. Paul on the Sunday afternoon to top it all off. So, folks, enjoy this time of year. Hopefully the snowstorms are gone. Get out to a rink and watch some hockey because, it, you know, when you're, when you're looking at playoff chases and championships being decided, it's always really good hockey. So get on the road and go catch some games. Before, right, before I let you get away for the night. I brought it back for you. Before I let you get away for this week, tell me, for, for fans out there who in Iowa area don't get to watch a lot of college hockey or don't have, maybe not have been watching as much of it, who do you look for to be great when we're talking about Frozen Four coming up here pretty soon? Well, I, you know, it seems like the balance of power has shifted to the West in college hockey. Minnesota is definitely... Uh, a team to look at for being in the Frozen Four, and I'd say out of the even out of the Big Ten, um, you can't go wrong with a team like Michigan, who's playing well, and has got um, this kid Pantilli, who's going to be a first round pick in the upcoming draft. Um, out of the NCHC, Denver is the defending national champion, and was also has already clinched the conference title regular season title for the season, and don't count out St. Cloud State, too. I, I was very impressed with them in the games that I've seen all of them this year. So I think the power is definitely in the West. Be that as of me, though, you know, when you get in a cow hockey playoff thing, and it's a one-game and bust if you run to a hot goalie. You know, it's anyone's game. Fantastic. Kevin Loco, thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure.